Welcome to Regeneration. Uh, we are studying the uh, book of Philippians, a letter written by Paul. We are going to cover a few verses tonight, verses 25 through 30, and talking about a guy named Epaphroditus. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we looked at Paul's first model of a servant, and it was a guy that he was discipling by the name of Timothy. And tonight we'll be taking a look at Epaphroditus. And like Timothy, he was a messenger, but he was initially sent by the Philippian church to help Paul, who was locked up in prison. Now, Epaphroditus is a very prominent Bible character, as many of you know. How many of you have actually heard of Epaphroditus before, like mentioning? So most hands down. Funny. Okay, we're going to talk about him. He has um, several relatives that we might know better. Uh, Arthritis is a... He was a pain in the neck, um, bronchitis, he was a smoker, um, gingivitis, didn't brush, uh, dermatitis, uh, appendicitis, <laughs> he was funny, um, tonsillitis, but today we're going to take a look at Epaphroditus, whose name literally means lovely, and we're going to see how lovely this guy truly is. Um, verse 25. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Paul's making it clear that he's the one um, sending Epaphroditus back with this letter. Uh, Most people believe that he was the one that was sending this letter back, and and you, you might ask why. Well, Epaphroditus was sent to take care of Paul while he was in prison. And while he was taking care of Paul, he, he got sick and almost unto death. So he was ill. And so it was important for Paul to do this because Paul wanted to protect Epaphroditus' reputation, his, his honor, his integrity, uh, his, his uh, character. And he didn't want it, all to appear, wanted it at all to appear as though Epaphroditus abandoned Paul and didn't do what he was sent to do, which was to take care of him, take care of him while he was in prison. And he didn't want the Philippian church to question what Epaphroditus did or did not do. So the Philippian church sends Epaphroditus to do a work and God sends us to do a work as well. And God doesn't send us to do part-time work. We, we follow him full-time. And there isn't a switch uh, that you flip to dictate when you follow Jesus. It's all the time. And there are ministries that, that we support and, and we have expectations as to the work that they are doing for the kingdom. And we aren't sending money out to, for people to do half-donkey work. Right? You guys remember a guy by the name of Demas? Another very prominent guy in the Bible. Demas, he's he's mentioned three times in the Bible. Two of those times he's mentioned as a part of a ministry team. And one of those times is in Colossians. Another time is in Philemon. But there's a third time that he's mentioned where where he ditched out on his team. And that's in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. It says, For Demas for forsaken has forsaken me having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica see we see here how how Demas started out as a fellow laborer of Paul and then he just takes off and he he doesn't finish and we're not called to do part-time work in the gospel we can't we we get so easily distracted by the world by our circumstances by ourselves in in doing work in the kingdom and God didn't call us to do part-time worship or part-time fellowship or part-time study or part-time prayer Christianity discipleship to Jesus Christ is not part-time it's it's not just Sunday 
And commitment to Jesus is, is a way of being. It's a lifestyle. And I'm not talking about an unhealthy commitment where, where boundaries aren't practiced. Jesus had boundaries. Right? He calls us to have boundaries. We're all to take a Sabbath, right? And, and Jesus got away to be alone with God, right? And some of us are married. Some of us have children. Some of us have jobs that are more involved. Um, our lives are different and they demand different things from us. So, so we, need, we each need to do what is appropriate for our lives. But commitment is necessary in any meaningful relationship, right? For any relationship to be good, there needs to be commitment, a relationship with your spouse, with your children, uh, your parents, your siblings, your friends, co-workers, neighbors, your church. There needs to be a commitment towards one another for that relationship to grow. And there are people who are confused about following Jesus. There are people who just consider it a, a religion, but, but not a way of life. It's something that many feel is just cultural to their upbringing, but not the way that they live. And many people feel it's important to do a certain thing under the banner of Christianity, but, but they disregard it in every other aspect of their life. So they want to get married in the church, or they want to have funerals in the church, or they want to get their baby baptized or dedicated, or show up for Easter and Christmas. Why? Following Jesus is a way of life, not just for your special events. So let's take a look at Epaphroditus and see some characteristics he had as a disciple of Jesus. Verse 25, yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Paul calls him three things here. He calls him my brother, my fellow worker and my fellow soldier. Brother. It's a term of endearment. This is quite an honor for Epaphroditus because because of Paul's reputation. Right. Think, think of someone you highly regard in your field of study or or in your workplace. So so I'm a ninja. Right. As many of you know, um, can you imagine if Chuck Norris called me, bro? Instant credibility, right? Chuck Norris can kill two stones with one bird. When Chuck Norris does a push up, he isn't lifting himself. He's pushing the earth down. And see, Paul is giving Epaphroditus some Roman street cred, right? He doesn't want the Philippian church believing that Epaphroditus abandoned him. So he tells them, he's my bro. He's my bro. He's expressing they have an intimate bond, a bond of intimacy. And then he calls him my fellow worker. See, ministry is hard work. And Paul is, is wanting them to honor Epaphroditus for his work in the Lord. And, you know, I often get asked, what do you do? And... Valid question. Many people don't know what I do. And some may think, oh, he's lucky. He just gets to read and then he gets to teach on Sunday. It's not the case. Ministry is hard work, right? It's labor. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. See, ministry is labor. The elders, the ministry leaders here, the, the ministry staff here, they, they work really hard. And they give a lot of themselves. I'm not going to go into a, ter a lot of detail, but last week there were, there were folks here that were here past midnight serving the church, doing things for the church. See, ministry is not a vacation. It's not just a stopping place. It's, it's hard work. And then Paul points out that Epaphroditus is a fellow soldier. See, we're at war. 
We are at war. We have a, a spiritual war happening right here in our midst. And it, it's nonstop. And, it, and it's brutal because it's a war over souls. It's a war over souls. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. See, we're in war for people's souls. And when you're a soldier of Jesus, your life is not your own. It belongs to Him. And you're under authority. And when you submit yourself to Jesus' authority, He will transform you. And you'll be able to be used by Him if, if you give your life to Him. And how else can you truly serve Him if you're not falling under His authority and submitting to His will? And if you're not serving Jesus, you really have to evaluate why. So Epaphroditus is mentioned by Paul to be his brother, his fellow worker, fellow soldier. And in the latter half of the verse, uh, Paul points out that Epaphroditus was the Philippian church's messenger and the one who ministered to Paul's needs. The Philippian church trusted Epaphroditus to go to Paul and, and to, to help him, to, to serve him. So turn with me to a couple chapters over to Philippians 4, starting in verse 13. We're going to go through 19. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And here Epaphroditus is mentioned again, and, and he was used by God to serve the physical needs of Paul. And God used a person to serve another. And sure, God could have used another means uh, uh, like prison mice or, or birds, or, but usually God uses people to serve one another. And he used the Philippian church and put it on their heart to send someone from their church to help Paul. And the church sensed what God wanted them to do, and they acted on that need, uh, on the need of a person that, that they loved dearly. And God provided for the church in Philippi, and the church commissioned Epaphroditus as their messenger to bless Paul in his need. See, God calls us to be people of action, to be God's hands and feet to a world that is in desperate need of him. But when Epaphroditus got there, he, he got sick. And Paul is concerned that Epaphroditus will, will get a bad rap if he just shows up back in Philippi without Paul addressing their possible concern. Like, did you really deliver? You were sick there. So did you actually get to serve him or what happened? And it's interesting what Paul brings up in verse 17 and 19, which is toward the end of the letter of Philippians. The Philippians give this generous gift through Epaphroditus to Paul. And Paul tells them that he appreciates it. He's not seeking the gift. He's looking at the fruit in their account. And he reminds them that God is the provider of all their needs. Now, keep in mind that Paul didn't write that God will supply for all your greed. He said supply all your need. Verse 26, back in chapter 2. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death. 
But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Epaphroditus missed those in the Philippian church, and he worried about how they were doing after they heard that he was sick almost to death. And this just speaks volumes about this church in Philippi. How many of you um, would miss regeneration if it were no longer here? And equally important, how much do you think our community would miss us if we weren't here? See, are we making a difference for the kingdom in Oakland? Are we? Would we be missed or would we be like, hey, I'm glad they're gone. I get to park in their parking lot. I think we are making an impact, but it's something that's going to be measured better with time. But when someone or something means a great deal to you, you miss it, you long for it, you care about what's going on. See, the parkway down on, on Park, Park Boulevard here, it closed down pretty recently, and, and there's a group of people that miss the parkway. I'm one of them. And it meant something to us, right? So people at our church have had community meetings to discuss how the, the parkway can be salvaged. And this is, this is for some just a movie theater, but not for most. It's actually more because people value it more than just a place to watch movies. How about regeneration? How about our church? If we weren't here, would, would we have people wonder what happened or try to win us back or get us back? Would the community miss us being around? Are we more than just a religious services provider? I hope so. I really do. And right now we're positioning ourselves to be more than just a place that offers religious services. And then how about you individually? Would you be missed in this community if you were no longer here? What impact are you making at this church or in Oakland? Or would you miss those in our body if if they were no longer here? I hope so. I hope we have the type of love for one another, that, that, that care, that love has to be uh, mutual and it has to be nurtured. But I hope that it's here. And there needs to be an investment both ways, right? Wouldn't it be great to value one another so much and care for one another so much that we long for one another and we get distressed when others worry about us? You know what, if, if you haven't seen someone here in a while, would you mind calling them? Would you mind emailing them? See how they're doing? And I do it every once in a while if someone pops in my head and, and uh, sometimes I just go through my email correspondence and say like, oh man, I haven't seen that guy in a while. And I'll shoot something out. And, and sometimes there's an opportunity to correspond and other times um, people don't return my email or they don't return my call. And it's not that we're trying to win them back to come here, but that we as a church community, that we will take initiative to extend our hand in friendship and in care and in love, that that we'll take that responsibility to do that. And we can't control how others respond to us, but we can be responsible for our own actions to take initiative to do that. And I hope we can develop a love for one another that that is deep enough that we we long for one another. We long for one another when, when we're apart. And and we are genuinely concerned about how we're doing. And Epaphroditus longed for those in the Philippian church. And he was distressed because he didn't know how how they were doing because he was really sick. I mean, this is a great man. And even while he's sick unto death, he's looking out for others. A year and a half ago, there was a pastor from Sonora who um, 
was uh, airlifted over here. Um, he had this flesh-eating disorder, and it was just eating away at his limbs, his, his nose, his ears. Um, and so he had to be induced into a coma. And so um, I was called to visit him and, and to pray for him and his family and just to see how they were doing. And um, so I, I went there uh, quite a bit. And the, the few times, the first few times I went to the ICU, he was in a coma. So he couldn't hear anything. I was just trying to serve his family and bringing meals and things like that. And he wasn't looking good at all. His extremities were just being attacked. It, it just looked like um, severe frostbite just continuing to grow up his arms and, and through his ears and his nose. And every time I went, it just got worse. And then it was attacking his kidneys and it was attacking other organs in his body. Um, his family just feared for his life because they couldn't figure out why his body was attacking itself. And he was sick almost unto death. But all he did while I was there, when he, when they, when he was let out of his coma and he was, mis, he, was, he was just frostbitten up here, all he did was he encouraged me in ministry. And, and I saw him do the same to others that, that I brought. I brought some other pastors. I brought interns from the church. I brought staff people. And then, and then there was just some other pastors that were there. That were and, and he just blessed everyone. The nurses that came in, the doctors that came in, everybody. And they loved Joe. Joe was awesome. And much of, that, much of the uh, frostbitten looking areas, they ended up being amputated. And so he had to get fixed up for, with a prosthesis and all this stuff. And, and he was just joyful to be alive. And he even called me a couple times after he was uh, let, let, let out of the hospital. And he called to check up on me. He called to encourage me. And I, man, the amazing man of God. I couldn't, I was like, ah, I'm here to serve you. But every time I leave here, I feel like I can take on the world. This guy's awesome. He was praying for me and just happy and everything. Nothing like, oh, what was me? Look at me. Like, he was just like, Cool. And you wonder how God could allow such an amazing man of God to get so ill, to lose his limbs, to lose his ears, to lose his nose. You wonder. How can God allow Epaphroditus to get so sick that he might even die when he's going over there to serve Paul? God, how can you allow that to happen? He's serving the great apostle Paul. Second Kings chapter 13, verse 14 it's written, Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. First Timothy chapter five, verse 23, where Paul writes to Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Or look at second Timothy chapter four, verse 20, where where Paul writes, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Another interesting is, thing is that we know that Paul was a great healer. Throughout the Bible, Paul was healing people. Why couldn't the great healer Paul heal any of these guys, including Epaphroditus? Epaphroditus was there ministering to Paul, doing what the church sent him to do. Why is this allowed to happen? And why can't the great apostle Paul heal these people? We're human. We get sick. God sometimes allows it. And we're not promised a clean bill of health by God. We're not immune to disease or sickness. 
And you guys have to be careful of, of people with these healing ministries that claim to have all the answers and that can heal anything that you just come around, come here and they'll heal everything. Be careful. Be careful of folks who mention that there must be sin in your life. That there must be something wrong in your life. And that's why you're sick or that's why your mom's sick or that's why someone in your life is sick. Or that you don't have enough faith. Oh, your faith is just not big enough. It is wrong to lay such guilt on people who are so hurting. That's wrong. To lay guilt on people who love them. That's wrong. We are to serve them. We are to love them. And some things in life, they are just mysterious. We don't know. Right? And I do believe that God heals. Just like Paul believed that God healed. He, he did it all the time throughout the New Testament, right? And sometimes God heals and sometimes He doesn't. And there have been immoral people that I know, really immoral people, that have been healed. And then there have been incredibly godly people who died. Weren't healed and they died. It has nothing to do with someone's righteousness or their faith. God is sovereign and healing is a work of God. People who are sick do not need the burden of being healed to be put on them or the people who, who love them. Just serve them. Just pray for them. Just have faith and, and continue to pray. And of course we pray and, and attempt to intercede, but it's not God's will that everyone is healed. And we often don't get a choice on whether we get better or not. But we have a choice on how we deal with our health as well as how we deal with our illness. And hopefully the illness doesn't rob us of our joy. And we know our physical bodies will perish. But we have a hope in God to provide us with new bodies that will not perish. Then the last part of the verse, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And the mercy God had on Epaphroditus was also mercy extended to Paul. If Epaphroditus died, Paul would have had sorrow upon sorrow, not just because he was a fellow brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier for Jesus, but because Epaphroditus came to meet Paul's needs. See, without Epaphroditus, many of Paul's needs would not have been met. He wasn't just sent to be a messenger, but he was sent to be a personal attendant to Paul. And the Roman prison system didn't provide for your essential needs like clothing or food. You provided for your own food and your own clothes through people who weren't in prison. People outside of prison. There, there was no bed. There's no TV. There's no books. There's no mail service. A prisoner was totally dependent on the outside world for their needs. Just like in Kenya, where we're going to be going next month, the hospital there, if you go to the, the government-run hospital, you go and you're hospitalized. They do not provide you with food. They do not even take you to the bathroom. They do not change your linens. They don't change your clothes. If you soil yourself, you're soiled. You have to have family and friends bring stuff to you. you have, they have to bring you food. They have to come change you. They have to bring you to the bathroom. They have to serve you. There, there are three mothers who just gave birth who share one bed. Three adult females and their newborn children. Six people on one bed. So if you had no family or friends on the outside back in these Roman days, you weren't going to eat or get clothing sufficient for those living conditions. And a prisoner was dependent on those outside to provide food and other things for their, their welfare. And so you see that Epaphroditus, his responsibility was great. And you see why he would write, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. 
It's bad enough that he's already in prison. Can you imagine if he didn't get aid? And you can bet that Paul was praying for his healing. Please get better. Oh, shoot. I'm hungry. Like, but he wasn't healed by Paul's direct prayers, but through God's mercy. Verse 28 through 30. You can bet um, that... Uh, uh, I already read that. So, verse 28. Therefore I send him more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply that was what was lacking in your service toward me. In these verses we see a faithful and committed man of God. Commitment was brought up earlier in this message, and I want to briefly talk about it again. He is completely sold out to God. In verse 30, Paul writes, Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. For the work of Christ he came close to death. See, Jesus came first. Commitment. Right? Illness prevented Epaphroditus from doing some things, and he may have been perceived as a failure by some in the Philippian church, but Paul is assuring them that this is not the case. He's telling them that he served above and beyond his call of duty. And see, we need to decide what's important in our life. Is, is it Jesus? Are there things in, in our life that, that we deem more important than Jesus Christ? Because Jesus is not to be served out of convenience, he's not a hobby. See, following Jesus is a commitment. Following Jesus takes a full-time commitment. And let's look at some examples of this full-time commitment. We're just going to look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Something else I notice here in, in verse 30 of chapter 2 is sacrifice. Not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service. Not regarding. That phrase is speaking of a, a gambling term. See, Epaphroditus was willing to risk everything, even his life, for Jesus. And I mentioned early, earlier that meaningful relationships require commitment. They also require sacrifice. See, how, how much are we willing to risk for Jesus? How much are we willing to risk to serve Jesus? In 252 A.D., a plague broke out in Carthage. And the people were just throwing the dead bodies out and, and, and fled Carthage in terror. And Cyprian, who was the, the Carthage bishop at the time, he brought his church together and he, and he rallied them and he told them that we we're going to go out and bury the dead and we're going to care for the sick. In the midst of a plague, they, they risked their lives for this communicable disease. And, and they served in the name of Jesus, those who were sick. And so they saved the city from desolation, from desertion. And you look at Jesus, who was Epaphroditus' example, who was Paul's example. Jesus, who sacrificed himself for me on the cross. What can, be, can we possibly be holding out for him? He gave up his life. For you and for me. He gave up his throne in heaven to be here among us for you and for me. And what can we possibly be withholding from him? Jesus, who, who gave up everything for you and me. Are we sacrificial? In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself 
and take up his cross daily and follow me. The third thing I noticed about Epaphroditus is that he was loving. When he was in fellowship with his church in Philippi to when he was sent to be be an aid to Paul, his, his love for others, it had to be evident. The Philippian church wouldn't send him to Paul if, if he didn't represent the love that they had for Paul. And notice that Paul didn't point out how well he did anything. He, he, Paul didn't point out to his actions. He didn't point out to Epaphroditus' intentions. He did point out who Epaphroditus was. You see how committed he was, how sacrificial he was, how loving he was. All things necessary in meaningful relationships. And it's not just about how much we know in our heads or or what we even intend to do. See, there's an attitude and and a heart that is foundational to what you know in your head and, and and what is behind what you do. And that thing is love. You can't know Jesus very well if you don't love people. Jesus is a compassionate person. He's a loving person. And there are times I have to pray to God to change me, to, to love someone who's difficult for me to love. Like in the middle of a conversation sometimes. I have to pray like, God, oh, this one's hard. Please help me. And um, let's face it, there are some people that are really difficult to love, aren't there? But we have to pray to God to soften our heart and, and take down any obstacles that we have of them and, and forgive them of the trespasses that, you know, that came our way and, and the stupid things that they've said to us or the dumb things that they've done to us and, and, and learn to love them and forgive them and give them the benefit of the doubt. And, and we have to be able to love people. In John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we need to learn to love one another, really love one another. And often the church doesn't do this very well. We get too uh, judgmental or critical or, or you know, we, we say, oh, you shouldn't do this, that, whatever. And we have all these things that make us not love one another. And this needs to change because this is how the world knows that Jesus is our master. By our love towards him and our love towards one another. And Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He tells us in John chapter 15, 12 and 13, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay one's down one's life for his friends. In order to love fully, we we need to die to ourselves. Because if we focus on ourselves, it's very difficult to see others. So we need to die to ourselves, open ourselves up to to God and what he wants from us and and let him do with our lives whatever he wants to do. We waste so much time on religious activities, don't we? Doing religious things. But it's not all that difficult. Jesus made it pretty simple. He says, love him, love others. And even though I, I, I value study, I value theology, I value philosophy, I value exercising the mind and putting the right stuff in your head. You can have all the right stuff in your head, but who cares if that doesn't translate into how you love people? Who cares? So may we follow Epaphroditus' example of commitment, sacrifice, love. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul and penning this letter. Uh, we ask, Lord, that uh, you would use us in this community. That we would mean something to this neighborhood. That we would mean something to Oakland and, and the people who live here. And Lord, I ask that um, in the things that we've done wrong individually and the things that we've done wrong as a church, that um, we humbly ask for your forgiveness and we ask, God, that you would show us how um, to make things right, to make us uh, representative of you who is acceptable. In Jesus' name.